Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Who is the mansion manager? She was a 17-year educator and now is taking care of my life as the mansion manager. Let's get proximate. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with a really good friend of mine and someone who has been running my life for the last uh, year-ish, Linda Horn from the Governor's Mansion. Her uh, official title is the Governor's Mansion Manager, and she truly does way more than that, but she manages our lives and keeps everything running smoothly. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, First Lady. What an honor to be here with you. She's Linda, you you are just so amazing. And um, you are more than the mansion manager, but you spent let's talk a little bit about you. I know you don't want to do this, but we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) We want to talk a little bit about how, how you got here to the mansion. I know this wasn't your first career. No, I worked for 17 years in education as a middle school teacher and a school administrator. Loved it. And I was at dinner with some friends and they said, hey, there's a job that you would be really maybe interested in doing and maybe you should check it out. And I thought, well, what could it hurt? And here I am three years later. Yeah. So so that's an interesting transition from education to to what you're doing now. What do you think in education prepared you? There's probably many things. Because <laughs> education, I think, prepares you for everything in life. What a great question. Um, well, we have a lot of school tours that come through. And so I love seeing children and telling them about the mansion. They come through and they have this look of awe and wonder as they come in for the first time. Most of them have never seen a place like it. And to be able to give them that experience and explain about the history of it and how it was built is pretty fun. I mean, it, it was a nice little launching pad into that arena. And I always loved art, architecture, history. And so those things as well segued, I think, into this job. Were you looking for an opportunity to jump out of education? I mean, 17 years is a long time to be a middle school teacher. And I've always said, I think uh, middle school teachers have a special place in heaven because (laughs) (laughs) I've taught in middle school and I've had middle schoolers as children. (laughs) And I just um, have such an admiration for educators in general, obviously. But but middle school teachers, there's there's something special about them. Right. I like to uh, tell people when they ask what I taught, I like to say, well, manners mostly because (laughs) exactly we taught a lot of manners. I was fortunate to leave when I felt like I still loved it and I still loved the students and loved the families. And it was really hard to leave, honestly. But 
at the same time, I felt like something was nudging me toward new things. And I've been really happy in this new position. It's really fun because my daughter, who is now making friends um, with folks, kids her age or that um, were former students of yours. Yes. And so when they come to the mansion and they say, Mrs. Horn works here, <laughs> it's pretty great. They're, they're shocked. I love to see what my former students are up to, and I like to stay connected. And that that's always a fun little treat when I get a note from a student. Yeah, we... Uh, also, what's great about, um, and this just kind of happened, is that your background in education ended up being so valuable for what we're doing in our initiatives. And we talked about that a little bit last week uh, with Kirsten. Um, but your work in education has just been incredibly helpful for us as we, your expertise, we draw on your expertise all the time for what we're doing. Well, that's kind of you to say. I feel like I'm playing a tiny part in some really important work. So I appreciate the opportunities. Well, let's talk about the history of the governor's mansion. Let's start there. Um, let's start with when, where, why the mansion was built. What a great question. <laughs> some people call it the the best house that was ever built. I think that was pre-2000. Um, people were probably <laughs> saying that about the mansion. But in 1889... There was a man named Thomas Kearns, and he had moved west. His parents were Irish immigrants. He was born in Canada. They'd moved to Nebraska at the ripe old age of 17. He was making his way in the world and started working in mines and manual labor jobs until he landed in Park City, Utah. And as they were working a new tunnel, he noticed a vein of silver ore, and he thought, I'm pretty sure that vein goes into the adjacent property that at that time was unclaimed. And so he and a couple of partners pulled together their resources, claimed the mine, and became overnight millionaires. And the first thing Thomas Kearns did was he ran down that mountain, down to the valley of Park City, Proposed to his girlfriend, Jenny, who we, we didn't call them girlfriends. I think they called them, it was a sweetheart, Jenny, <laughs> and proposed to her. And she said yes. And then they went about doing really good things with their money and their time. Yeah. So they got married. And then he, the story I understand is that they, he waited for his partner to build his Home first in Salt Lake on on South Temple. Both his partners. Both of the partners built. Did they both build on? That's what I understood. On South yeah. Temple. Right. So why did he wait so well, long? You know, you wait so that you can trump everybody else, right? You can build <laughs> the biggest and the best looking one. So he made his just a little bit better than everybody else's. And it's the one the one I'm speaking of. The one partner was just a block away, a uh, block west. David Keith. On South Temple, and um, many people mistake that, including myself, the first few times I tried to come to the mansion uh, for the governor's mansion, because they do have a similar look. They do, because they both have that oolite sandstone exterior, 
The difference is the governor's mansion has a fence around it. That's, and so that's, that's the, giveaway. the distinguishing <laughs> feature right there. <laughs> that is the giveaway. So after they built this, and Jenny was really instrumental in, I mean, she went to Europe. It was all the best materials from all over the world. Um, then what? Well, it was 10 years, really, from the time that he struck it rich to the time they bought the property, which is a pretty long time. And I like to think that they were the first show-up family of Utah. I love it. I know, because before they even bought the property, they first used their money to help Thomas Kern's parents pay off their farm in Nebraska. Then they they funded the St. Anne's Orphanage, which is on 21st South. It's now St. Anne's School. And they helped fund the Cathedral of the Madeline on South Temple. They contributed to LDS Hospital, to even the Neighborhood House. They helped contribute to great causes in the city. And then they built the mansion. Which is super inspiring. Mm -hmm. I I just think... um, there, I always talk about giving back is in the DNA of Utah. And, you know, he wasn't a traditional pioneer, I guess, in the in the sense that we think of in Utah, um, our, our Mormon pioneers, but he was definitely a pioneer. And, and that idea of giving back went, went way back into, into his era. And, and it was in his DNA, and he and Jenny were just incredibly generous, again, doing all that before they, they built their home. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about the Kearns family. Um, what were they like? What were their interests? We talked a little bit about their charitable, charitable work, but what kinds of activities and things were going on in the mansion at the time? Well... The mansion, as you were talking about, had just the best of everything from materials all over the world. They brought in marble from Africa and Italy and woods from France and Russia and all over, beautiful mantles from all over, Fran- French um, newels that went at the bottom of the staircase. And they managed to do it all within a little over a year pulled all of it together, these artisans and craftsmen from all over the world and concentrated on this mansion. But what I find interesting is they had dinner parties where they would have magnets of industry sitting next to regular miners. So they they like to bring in people from all walks of life, including... Or those orphans. You know, they really cared about marginalized children. And Jenny made it a point to, to see that those children had clothes, new clothes, that they had plenty of food, that they had great education. And she would bring them to the mansion for Christmas parties and other parties so that they felt special. So she had a gift of drawing in people from all walks of life and making them feel comfortable in her home. That's so cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the other after the after the Kearns's, um Let's let's talk about how the state sort of um, 
came upon this or how did how did it become this in the state's possession? Well, Thomas Kearns was in an unfortunate accident in downtown Salt Lake City. He was stepping off a streetcar in 1918 and he was struck by an oncoming automobile. He was taken back to the mansion. He had not life-threatening injuries. He hurt his shoulder and his ankle, but he died a few days later from a stroke. And Jenny was absolutely heartbroken about it. She wore black the rest of her life as a sign of mourning for her husband. And eventually she raised her own, well, she finished raising her own children there. She raised her sister's children after her sister passed away. She raised even some grandchildren at the mansion. And then in 1937, she decided to gift it to the state of Utah. This is at the end of the Depression, and the state didn't have the funds to purchase a mansion, even though there had been discussions about having a governor's residence. And she, out of the goodness of her heart, just handed it over to the state of Utah. That's incredible. Again, such a generous gift. And uh, her her legacy just lives on and on because of the things that, that you talked about that she's done. Um, so we want to get into the different um, iterations that the, the governor's mansion has gone through. Um, and we'll keep talking about that when we come right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here with Linda Horn, the governor's mansion manager, and um, we're talking about the history of the governor's mansion, the Kearns mansion, as it was before it became the governor's mansion and the governor's residence. Um, let's talk about so so Jenny gifted the this mansion to the governor to, for a governor's residence to the state. Who was the first governor that that ended up moving into the mansion? It was Governor Blood. And it was into his second term when he finally moved in. Um, they didn't move in until 1938 because they the state wanted to do some upgrades of the electrical and the heating system. And so he and his wife moved in in 1938, and they were there... And it went that way until Governor Lee, and when Governor Lee was governor, um, he ended that realm of the governor's mansion being an executive residence, and the Kearns Mansion was turned over to the state history. It was the Utah State Historical Society. Is that the one? (laughs) I was trying to remember. State Historical Society. 
And they occupied the building from 1937 to 1957. And this is an entity that does so much good in the state, but maybe isn't as well-funded as some of the other entities. And over that time, Ivy had creeped up into the the eaves and all over the stonework of the mansion, loosened the stones. Things fell into disrepair, and it just wasn't a great period for the that building, I would say. And then in 1977, uh, Governor Matheson and his wife, Norma, decided that they had made a promise, the state had made a promise to the Kearns family that they would use this building as an executive residence. And they felt like it, it really was the perfect place to host dignitaries, to host events and, and make the state a more forward state. It, it's just a really nice place to be able to, for the state of Utah and its people to be able to say, I'm proud of that place. That's, that's something that we all own. And they, they did some minor renovations to it to make it functioning and working again. And then in 1993, there was an unfortunate Christmas tree fire. There was probably a little too much lighting on the tree. It was a live tree. There was lots of dried flowers stuck in the tree, quarter-sawn logs under the tree, and some faulty wiring for the lights. And there was a pop. And within minutes, that tree had just about gutted the entire mansion. It was a really hot, really fast moving fire. There's a it's when you come into the grand hall of the mansion um, on the first floor. There's actually an opening um, up into the second floor, which. Um, the tree at the time was all the way up through the second floor. It's a very tall uh, tree, live tree. And um, I think it acted as this downdraft that came down and it just, the fire just went so quickly. It's so hot, so quickly. And um, thankfully there were, there were a few people in the home at the time, but were able to get out. Nine, nine in there, including Mrs. Levitt. And her son, Weston, who was just a toddler at the time. And they all managed to get out safely, which was a miracle because it was Christmas time. And there were lots of parties before and planned for after that date. And it was fortunate that it happened when it did. Yeah. And and thankfully for us, <laughs> it did because um, after it was... After the fire, they took the insurance and then really restored it back to its original uh, glory days. I think they were able to really go back and look at pictures of it. Thoughtfully, yes. It was a thoughtful restoration. Governor Herbert, when he was leaving office, he asked me one time, what was the best thing that ever happened at the mansion? And I think he thought I was going to say, oh, it was when Teddy Roosevelt came to visit or the Princess of Norway. And I said it was the fire because the fire really did exactly what you're saying. It gave the state an opportunity to really reset 
on that mansion and look at it from a historical lens and say, all right, how do we want to do this right? We have some insurance money here and they had a decision to make. Do we tear it down or do we restore it? And the unanimous response was, let's restore it. And it's back, I like to say, better than it's probably ever looked. Yes. And um, because, like I say, thankfully for us, again, they were able to go in and really modernize a lot of the heating and air and water and all that kinds of those kinds of things that um, things I'm sure you appreciate we appreciate very much so um, it's a little more modern there is there are some really fun things that that are uh, historical that that are still at the um, at the historical society um, archives and one of them is the shower that was originally in there right indeed it was like a surround shower that Thomas Kearns, very ahead of its time. Wow, uh, it, but it, not um, it, as functional as maybe it should have been. For I think it had like twenty spouts that would clean your entire body at the same time, and it looked like a cage. So it was just the pipe. So now you know you see those in really high end homes that are kind of spouting out everywhere. But these were, it was literally the pipe. So it looks like a big cage. Right. And from what I understand, it was like you had to get in there to turn it on. And it was freezing cold for however long it took the hot water to reach you. So you sat there. Right. So functionality wasn't uh, their strong suit. I think Governor Matheson ended up taking one shower with that shower. And then it was pulled out. (laughs) Get it out. (laughs) It's like a car wash. <laughs> so it actually sits down in the in the archives, which I think would be really fun when we um, we have some ideas about how to, you know, have a staging area for for tours. I think it would be fun to bring that in and some of the burned out um, things that that were from the fire. But um, anyway, so let's let's talk about kind of um, what kinds of things are going on now at the mansion. Well, the state has the mansion for two purposes. One is to provide a home for the executive residence and his or her family. And it's done that pretty well. Um, It's also a state building that's to be used to advance the work of the state, whether it's the First Lady's initiatives, the governor's business. We have meetings virtually every day in the mansion for that purpose. And and I can say it's serving the state very, very well. I think we've probably used it a little more, um, even though it's, let's talk, maybe we should do this, maybe we should talk about our renovations that we've been going through for the last year. Wow, what a year you've had. <laughs> I should ask you what it was like for you the last year. <laughs> well, uh, so I grew up in a home uh, that was built in 1886, so even older than the governor's mansion. So I am not new to an old home. <laughs> so I'm used to it. I know that they require a lot of upkeep. It requires a lot of attention. It requires a lot of, um, you know, you've heard the money pit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a money pit, but... Um, it, it does require upkeep and especially one that's a historical building like this, 
you you want to preserve it. It's it's an interesting um, dichotomy where you really want to preserve this building in its most beautiful form, its historic form. At the same time, you want it um, functioning like a modern building. Right. Um, and so those are the two things that that kind of battle each other at times. Right. <laughs> and um, the interesting thing is there was never a transition really between um, Governor Herbert and his predecessor because of the way things happened so quickly. He was appointed. Correct. Um, when the previous governor had left. And so what happened was it just sort of went on and on as, as just maintenance as they... Kicking as, the can down the yeah, road. Yeah, as, as, as absolutely necessary, things were done, but it wasn't anything that um, they stopped and really took inventory of, of the major things that right. needed to happen. So it had been, what, 20, almost 20 years um, since a real transition had happened. Correct. And so because this was a real transition, it there was just a lot of things that needed to be done. And so one of the big things, two, two huge projects, one was the roof. There was some leaking. There was some issues um, with yes. the roof that was put in in, in 1996 after the fire. Right. Should have lasted longer, didn't. There was some issues there. So there was some leakage and, and some things that were going on that was unsustainable. That needed to be fixed. And the second huge project was the windows. And again, if you're if it's a historic building, you don't just throw in vinyl windows. <laughs> so these windows, as you say, are like Swiss clocks. They're like fine Swiss watches that have all of these internal moving parts that you don't see, but that really affect the integrity of the building. So you can lift the sashes and the, the window will stick exactly where you put it. They're, and they're beautiful. And there's the, the turrets, they're curved. I mean, they're just, they're really intricate windows. And so it wasn't a matter of just throwing in some new ones. It was a matter of actually pulling out the entire window and window frame and all the pieces and parts that go with it. And they were shipped off to the Midwest, a place in Missouri where they were completely restored, right? shipped back and then uh, reinstalled. And keep in mind, they were functioning for 120 years. Imagine if we restored them nicely, they should last another 120 years. So I like to think that the building is an asset to the state and we're doing everything we can to preserve that asset. So these were projects worth doing. And as you said, they were timely and and the time had come. The time had come. And we were the lucky ones. You were the lucky ones. (laughs) I'll foresee this. So we spent... um, considerable time in different rooms uh we thankfully several years ago they actually uh redid the basement it was originally a bowling alley uh so that's fun two lane bowling alley <laughs> that you set the pins up yourself yes. which is fun. and i think at one point there were monkeys down there there were so <laughs> oh Thomas Kearns was a brilliant man, but impulsive, too. And 
one time he came back from a trip to South America, and as parents do, he brought back some souvenirs, and they happened to be a pair of monkeys. And because his, that's what you did in the early 1900s. He home I mean, you just—that's like a not a thing we do now. No but <laughs> and his sweet wife Jenny just said, "Oh, where are we going to house these monkeys?" And he said, "No problem. We'll put them down in the bowling alley. We can close the door. It'll be no trouble." Well, those monkeys figured out how to unscrew all the light bulbs and pull out all of the ceiling insulation, and then they were donated to. Hogle Zoo. There you go. Hogle Zoo got the monkeys. They did. And um, it was really interesting because they renovated the basement that we call the garden apartment. Now there's a bedroom and um, and things down there, but a nice living area, like a, a weird long living area because it looks like a bowling alley Indeed. shape. <laughs> but we were able to stay down there for... About six months, seven months. When did we move upstairs? It was a long time. Yeah, we didn't, actually, we didn't move up there till like August. So about. Uh, it probably felt like seven months. It felt like seven months. It was a long time. But um, we, we are upstairs on the second floor now. The second floor is actually the private residence. Um, and the public area is on the first floor and the third floor ballroom. And so we. We make our our way on the second floor. And then the the really cool thing, talk a little bit about uh, Jenny's room that we kind of did. Oh, on the third floor, there's a bedroom. And Jenny used to use it for sewing. Even though she was a multimillionaire, she still loved to sew. She still loved to bake. She liked her simple lifestyle. And she would go up there and managed the house from her room. And it was recently put back in place so that it looks historic, it feels historic, and it's kind of like your own little Lincoln bedroom now yeah, in the governor's mansion. It, they had some uh, original Kearns furniture that, that came, back, came recently. back and was restored. And so we put that back in yeah. that bedroom and we brought a sewing table up that would have been about during that period um, from our state archive. And so we brought that up. And so it's kind of a little homage to Jenny. Indeed. Um, Anyway, it's it's a cool room. Uh, We want to talk about what we have going on at the mansion these days. We'll come right back. We're back here with Linda Horn talking about the governor's mansion. Um, There's so much going on there. And uh, and now that we are back and having more events, um, it's been really fun. One of the really cool things that I didn't know I got to do until I got there was um, art. And it's been really fun to to um, go art shopping. Go art shopping. It's it's so great. But let's first talk about the um, sort of the we have a foundation. Correct. And the state, they have their responsibility. So let's talk about how that organization works. Right. And why? So the state of Utah, as I said, has the building as an asset. It is owned by the state of Utah, the people of Utah. The furnishings, however, inside the building, rugs, draperies, uh, beds, sofas, all of that are owned by the Governor's Mansion Foundation. So anything that's purchased to go inside the mansion as far as furnishings is privately funded. So they 
the Governor's Mansion Foundation raises funds. They purchase those furnishings so that the taxpayers don't have any of that burden. They don't even pay to have them maintained. That's considered still under the foundation's purview, and and they take care of that responsibility. And it's nice because then, you know, there's this delineation. So the, the I mean, the problem is, I think that was the problem when the governors got the mansion. Every time, you know, if you have to ask for money from the state for, you know, if your bed's falling apart or it broke or something right. like that, that's just weird and for the governors. So right. it just makes it a nice, um, clean thing that, that it can be maintained in a really um, modern way. And um, still keep the integrity of the history of the building as right. well. And and save taxpayers money, exactly. for sure. We are a, a fiscally conservative state. Yes, we are. <laughs> and um, so in order to do that, that there's a sort of a fundraising mechanism. And we do these Artist Mansion or Governor's Mansion Artist Series Awards. And um, it's it's been a really fun thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about what, sure, what it is and what sure. we do there? So the way the Governor's Mansion Foundation raises funds for the furnishings is they highlight six artists a year, three visual usually, and three performance artists. And they'll invite them to come to the mansion for three separate events, two for each one, and invite donors to come and participate in a, a reception and a, a performance aspect of it. And it's wonderful because we're able to highlight some of the fabulous artists here in Utah. I just think that's incredible that we have this great art, these art roots in Utah, and we're able to use those roots and that heritage to celebrate artists moving forward. Yeah. And so because so we we're able to do that and that's a fundraising mechanism. The other part um, of the art that we talked a little bit about, um, talk a little bit about the the history of our art here in Utah. I would love to. So in 1899, we had a legislator named Alice Merrill Horn, and she proposed a bill that created the first of its kind, like an arts council. And what it did is it took money and set it aside each year from the state budget to purchase art from living artists. She said artists can't paint if they can't eat. And so she she made sure that there was some way to support artists and purchase their art that the state could amass in a collection and help support and nurture these up-and-coming artists and, and some of the best artists, uh, I think, in the West yeah. came and, from that. We were the first state to do such a thing, Very right? first. And so we have an incredible, I mean, back from the 1800s, we have an incredible collection as a state of um, Utah art. Right. And when I first uh, became first lady, they said, um, you can choose the art that is in the mansion and in the public areas from our state art collection. So let's go shopping. And so we did. <laughs> Linda and I headed down to to shop at the at the state um, art collection. And let me tell you, that is really fun. I'm not a real artist myself. I I love. I know what I like. 
And but I have my mom is an artist. I have my brother's an artist. I have a sister who's an artist. I mean, and I got zero, zero artistic ability, which is really, really sad. But I do love art. And you have great taste. <laughs> so I we had this moment where I thought, you know what would be really fun? Um, to really shake it up and do something really different. There's some real traditional pieces that have been, and they're beautiful and wonderful, right. um, that have been in the mansion in the, in the past, and there's still some of those. But uh, I thought it would be really fun to celebrate the multicultural heritage of Utah. We have such incredible wealth of of artists from multicultural backgrounds, and um, and I just saw all this art that reflected that when I was down there and so chose a, a plethora of artists and, that celebrate that history. And so when you have a chance to come through the mansion, um, you'll notice, especially on the third floor where the where the ballroom is around the staircase is uh, you'll see some really different things than you've ever seen and in the mansion artists i think that's really exciting you've chosen art that comes from the navajo nation from san pete county and it's not like you said traditional art but it's beautiful and it's very fitting for the mansion and it it embraces the cultural identity and heritage of the entire state it doesn't feel like it's just one um, perspective of art and artists in Utah. It's it's really embracing that whole um, diversity and inclusion of the entire entire state, which is incredible. Yeah, it's it's. I think um, when you walk up, if you've been to the mansion before, and you walk up onto that third floor, you're taken aback. I think most people are just pleasantly in a good surprised way. in a good way. Yeah. People walk up the stairs and their breath, you can just see their their reaction where the, when their breath is taken away by the beautiful art that you've selected. Yeah, there's this one piece that everybody loves. Everybody loves universally. Well, they're all my favorites. It's like choosing your child, you know, which one's your favorite, but they're all my favorites. But there's one that, that just really stands out to people. Um, Fidelis Bueller, who is, uh, he is multicultural himself and yes. and grew up in in uh in a home where he had one parent that was polynesian and one parent that was european and he his art really reflects that and it's really interesting but the favorite piece i think for most people is his and it's this beautiful little girl in this big pink sunday dress and she's holding a piece of just really pretty cake and um it's it's called sunday best with cake and it's everybody loves it, it you have to come see it it's it's just really a yes. fun fun piece inspiring pieces I have to and say. he is also one of our artists that we are honoring this That's year right which is really fun so let's talk a little bit about the things that are going on in the mansion um because of covid obviously with like everything else um we we were not doing tours we were not having a lot of public events, but those are starting to come back. Now, let's talk a little bit about what we have going on. Right. And now is an exciting time in the mansion because we've recently decorated for the holidays and it looks beautiful and magical. People call from all over the country and want to know when they can come visit the mansion. And they're disappointed if I say 
sorry, you can't come in May. But we <laughs> we traditionally have done public tours in December and then again in the summer months. And this year we're having tours, public tours on December 9th. And if you want to reserve a spot, you go to preservationutah.org. That website will lead you to a registration and there are still spots. I checked right before this podcast and there are still some spots available. So we'd love to have you come and see the mansion. It It's rejuvenating to have people back in the building. I worked through that whole pandemic and it was kind of kind of sad. It was super sad. The pandemic was yeah. sad. On top of that, we were had boarded up windows for uh, uh, quite a while. That did add to the sadness. <laughs> it was really dark and cave-like in there. And then we, we got them back and we forgot how beautiful natural light it's was in there. bright and beautiful. So we'd it's, love to have you come and see it. Yeah, it's it's going to be wonderful. And um, one of the really – talk a little bit about the, the tradition of – um, having students come at Christmas time. Oh, every year we have a fourth grade class come and decorate a Christmas tree. It's the one in the library. And it's a fun little tradition where we try to choose a school that's maybe not seen very often, one that maybe Jenny would have chosen, and have them come decorate the tree. Then the governor will climb up a ladder. Hopefully you'll hold on to it and he'll place the star on the top of the tree and you'll get to visit with those students a little bit. And and that's fun. It's a media reveal day where we show off the decor in the mansion. So fun. And um, I just think Jenny would be proud to have um, students, especially maybe from marginalized communities. Yes. um, There because that was where her passions were. And we, you know, everything we do, one of the trees in the big tree in the parlor, um, and this was this was Linda's idea. She is we did a throwback to sort of a Kern's Christmas, right? Um, and so this tree is just beautiful. It's it has a lot of the silver because of the silver mm-hmm. mining. Um, it has um, silhouettes of all the Kern's family as well as our family. Yes, um, it looks like a tree decorated like you would have seen. Um, a hundred years ago. Yeah. Oh, it's it's just beautiful. It's fantastic. The Fox Group was the were the decorators. They were just amazing, um, and so we're we're thrilled. Um, it's just beautiful. It is fun to to walk down there, even at night when I I go around sometimes because I have this. Mo- There's a lot of people in the mansion and a lot of people in and out and doing a lot of work and still still kind of doing a lot of things there. And every once in a while we'll get to the end of the day and we're about ready to go to bed and I'll look and I'll see that there are lights on like everywhere. So, you know, I could be like, just go to bed, but I can't because there's that mom in me that's like, I have to go turn off all the lights. We can't waste electricity. So I walk around turning off the lights and the one night I was there by myself, I will have to say I was a little, I was a little nervous, but it was good. Nothing (laughs) happened. I I was good. But Last night I walked down to turn off some lights and the the Christmas trees were lit up and the outside lights were on and it just it was it was really cool. It was a fun So it was moment. worth the wait after 11 months of being in the mansion. I think it's yes, and I think I appreciate it much more than I would have if right. if we had just come in and everything was perfect. You don't take so. anything for granted now. Yeah. 
No, not at all. So let me ask you this. What is your favorite thing about working at the mansion? Oh, I love being surrounded by beauty. I really do. I love the beautiful architecture, the art that you talked about. But I also love the spirit in that building. Some people ask, is it haunted? And I've always said no. But there is a spirit there. Mm -hmm. You can feel it. And it's that Kearns family, the goodness of that first family that lived there. And it really is a family home. So it it's kind of fun to feel like you're helping make a home a little bit better and more comfortable for the people who come there, either who live there or the people who visit. Yeah, that's amazing. And we do, I can't end without talking a little bit about, there's another building um, next to the mansion and it is the carriage house. Right. And the carriage house right now um, is largely just a warehouse. warehouse. (laughs) It's a warehouse. But there's some really cool things in it. We're hoping for, uh, we're we're hoping that it um, comes to life in the Someday near future. Someday would be really nice. But um, the cool thing about the carriage house is it's still a, a carriage house. You know, you've heard of a car elevator. There's a certain someone that got a lot of press for having a car elevator in their house. Uh-huh. But they, the Kernzes, had a carriage elevator. Indeed, they did, and they actually ended up using it for cars too. So they would bring the horses in to the carriage house, and the horses had these beautiful stables that were lined with brass fixtures and just the prettiest wood. And then the carriages would go over to a lift, like an elevator that you described, and they would hoist them up with a pulley system to the second floor where they were stored. And they, would, they stored several carriages at a time and a couple of cars before Thomas Kearns was gone. And and uh, yeah, they were ahead of their time. They were indeed. And I've heard just rumors. And that's the fun thing. When you get in there, you hear all the rumors of the previous occupants. But I yes. heard at one point there may have been a, a little Halloween fiasco going on in there at one point. I, I think a little some haunted house. governor's children used it as... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was a perfect little haunted house. <laughs> we may reprise that. Bring their friends through. <laughs> no, I don't want to give my kids any ideas about any of the naughty stuff that went on before them. <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit meaner mom probably than those previous first ladies. <laughs> uh, thank you, Linda. This has been such a delight to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. It's, it's really fun for me to get to share you with everyone Aww. else because um, I get to be with you every day. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're so happy to to share more information about how you can come to a tour. And um, so thankful that um, we get to be a part of the mansion. And we are grateful for those that came before us. And we hope, it, hope to leave it better than we found it. Um, Indeed. Thank you for listening today. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. To schedule a tour of the Governor's Mansion, go to preservationutah.org for December and summer tours. For teachers, you can call 801-245-7333. If your class goes to the Capitol and the mansion, you will get your transportation paid for as well. Thanks for being a friend.